Wow, what an amazing story. It's one of those ones that probably most of us have heard. The story of Matthew and the tax collector. Matthew, sorry, the tax collector. And you know what? When people met Jesus in the Bible, they generally responded in one of two ways. Some of them meet Jesus and their lives are never the same again. They respond with joy and excitement and, and, and they change. They can't help but change like Matthew. But there's another set of people who when they meet Jesus, that's not their experience at all. There's something in their heart that says no. And they respond with anger. And you think of people like the Pharisees in the story who were the religious leaders at that time. Or perhaps you think of the rich young ruler, if you know that story, and he left Jesus sad because he wouldn't change. There are these two sort of different responses that we can have to Jesus. And that's what we see in this passage today. And I told you that this series is all about people um, meeting Jesus and Jesus eating with them. And uh, Jenny, Jenny Mullaly was quite funny this morning because she said that um, a few years ago, apparently Christchurch did a series about Jesus eating with people. It was quite a few years ago. And she said, we called the series, Jesus is a fat man, which I thought we're not going to go for tonight. <laughs> but you kind of get what they're trying to say. They're trying to say, Jesus just went and ate with people when no one else would. There's something about him. And so what I want to do today is really simply look at the story of Matthew and look at the story of the Pharisees and ask the question, what does that mean for us in 2023? How can we apply that to our own lives? Let me pray and then we'll look at this passage together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this fantastic story. Thank you for the way you chose and you called Matthew and that you've chosen and that you've called each one of us to follow. Lord, would you speak to us tonight through your word, and may you be ministering to each one of us by your spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, here we have Matthew, the tax collector. His job is to collect money on the behalf of the enemy of the Jews, the Roman occupiers, the all-powerful ones. So imagine, imagine you're Matthew, you're in your tax booth, and you know every time a fellow Jew walks past or comes to pay their extortionate taxes, they probably don't even look at you in the eye. Or if they do, it's, it's with absolute bewilderment that you could possibly do that job. You see, his job was to collect money, and not only just to collect money for the Romans, which means he would have been, in the Jews' eyes, a traitor, but he was also an extorter as well because tax collectors would famously collect more than they were meant to for themselves. In fact, he was making his fellow Jews' lives more miserable so that he could have a more comfortable life. That's the guy we're talking about tonight. It's a little bit like, imagine a Ukrainian citizen going around forcefully raising funds for the Russian occupiers. That's the kind of level of shock and hatred that the Jews would have had against Matthew. But as Matthew is sitting there, suddenly Jesus walks past. And he stops and he says, Akulafe moi. 
which means follow me. Get up, come with me. Richard, who was preaching on the same passage this morning, pointed out something I didn't know, which was that this is exactly what Jesus said just before this story to uh, the paralyzed man. If you know that story, that was the story of the man who was um, let down through the ceiling of a house because they couldn't get in, and his friends lowered him down, and he was paralyzed from birth, presumably, and uh, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, and the, the Pharisees, the Romans, would have been shocked by that. And then he said, get up, follow me, come up. And at that point, he rises. It's the same word. And here, he's offering the same hope to Levi, who we'll call Matthew in this story. He's offering that same chance of redemption, of rescue. And incredibly, the passage says, Matthew got up, he left everything, and he followed Jesus. He followed him. Perhaps a good question for us to ask tonight is, why? I mean, Matthew seems to have money, protection from the Romans, which are basically the only company in that area, the, the big boss, the ones that can protect him. He's probably got quite a comfortable life. We know he's got a house, because that comes up later in the story. Yes, he's an outcast from his fellow Jews, but apart from that, he's got everything else. Why would he respond to Jesus? And we have some clues in our story. There's something in Matthew that when Jesus says, follow me, he says, yes. There's something about his heart that is ready when the call comes. And just as an aside, I was thinking about this for me. If you're here today and you're a Christian, maybe you can remember the time when someone said, would you consider following Jesus? I remember for me, I was 12 years old, I was on a youth camp, and um, a, a leader said, we're all sinners and we need a saviour. It was an urban saints youth camp. And for me, I remember they said, will you follow Jesus? And in my heart of hearts, a bit like Matthew in the tax booth, I just went, yes, yes, that makes total sense to me. And so I did. Maybe you can remember that. This story is just such a good reminder, isn't it, that sometimes maybe our colleagues maybe our family members, maybe our friends, maybe they just need that invitation in the way that we've received it, in the way that Matthew has received it. Well, going back to the story, Matthew's heart is ready to respond. I was thinking it's, it's a little bit like when uh, Jesus was teaching probably the most famous sermon in history on the Sermon of the Mount. And he says, blessed, which means receiving good things from God, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And for years, I never really got what that meant. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, the, this is what Matthew's heart was. It was poor in spirit. And uh, there's this uh, theologian called Don Carson, who I was sort of reading this week, and he says this. To be poor in spirit is to acknowledge bankruptcy. It's to confess one's complete unworthiness before God, an utter dependence on him. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. That's what Matthew had. That's what's considered really good in this story, something that we can learn from. Matthew knew he needed Jesus. He just knew it. And when Jesus called, Matthew was ready to say yes. And I was thinking, actually, uh, probably for many of us, there are times in our lives when we just know we need Jesus. 
there are times when we've got so many things we've got wrong. Even in the last week, I can think of things that I've got wrong. I need to come back to Jesus. We need Jesus. It's those times when we know that we are cracked and that when we have faults, we come to Jesus and we say, I need you. I need you. I don't know if you've heard of the uh, songwriter, Leonard Cohen, who I think sang Hallelujah, if you know that song. But he sang this other song, which I just love, which is, he says this. I don't think he's a Christian, but his words are really helpful. He says, ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Matthew was cracked, but he was ready. And when the light came, when Jesus came, he was ready to respond. And he didn't have anything to give. Isaiah 64 says, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We have nothing to bring to God but our thoughts. Yes, we're gifted. Yes, we have skills. And he, God can use those, just like God used the skills that Matthew had. But he had nothing righteous to bring. And we have nothing righteous to bring. But that's such an encouragement. It doesn't need to be on us. It's all on what Jesus did. Well, the story continues. Verse 29. Matthew goes with them. And then Matthew held a banquet. Matthew held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Matthew throws a party. He uses what he has, and he invites Jesus, or perhaps Jesus invites himself, I don't know. But either way, Matthew has him at his house, and his friends, his friends aren't all the normal Jews that most people would have spent time with. His friends were tax collectors, and so Matthew invites them along. He wants to share what's happened to him. We come to Jesus as we are, but like Matthew, we don't stay as we are. Matthew is starting to change in this story. So that's the first response. We have an open heart that says, I am bankrupt, I need you. But there is a second response in the story, which is the response of the Pharisees who were the religious leaders. And just to be really clear, at that time, religious leaders were highly respected. I think for these days, we, when we talk about Pharisees, we often say, oh, Pharisees, they were just a bit silly. Well, no, no, no. In that culture, Pharisees were hugely respected. And these Pharisees have heard Jesus say, just before this story, uh, when Jesus said to the um, paralyzed man, get up and walk, your sins are forgiven. They would have been outraged at that blasphemy, claiming to be able to forgive sin. Surely Jesus can't do that. And so in verse 30, they come to where they're having the feast and they complain to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus gets in and Jesus responds. And he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And of course, both the Pharisees and the Jews were sick. Everyone was sick, but the point is, the Pharisees couldn't see it. So the healthy, self-righteous Pharisees get totally angry and they ask Jesus, why don't your disciples fast and pray? Our followers do, and so do John the Baptist's followers. But you'll sit around and they basically party. Why do you eat with them? Why aren't you grieving and mourning and uh, fasting? And to understand this, it's really important to know that in that culture, what the Pharisees would do 
is they would teach that there are lots of things that you should do to be right with God. You have to do these things and then you're right with God. And so one of the examples of these things was to be, um, was to do fasting. And fasting was great, basically a way of saying, I'm waiting for the coming Messiah. He's not here yet. I'm going to wait. It's a way of repenting. It's a way of crying out for mercy. It was sort of pleading for God to break in and do something in this world. <laughs> and then Jesus says, guys, I'm right here. <laughs> You don't need to fast at the moment. That's not an appropriate response. I'm here. You don't need to cry out for God's kingdom to break in. I am here. But they didn't get it. They didn't get it. And uh, there's a, there was a theologian at my old college called Tom Wright. He says this, of this exact moment. He says, God's mercy was now alive and active, healing celebrating, creating a new world and inviting them to join in. And yet, they didn't see it. They didn't get it. And so, uh, Jesus' response is to use some illustrations to help them try and understand what's going on. And so he says to them, verse 34, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and in those days, they will fast. And in the Old Testament, a wedding feast was a Jewish image for God's coming. And what Jesus is saying is, look, Mr. Pharisees, I'm the bridegroom. I'm here. He's saying to them, imagine going to a wedding. In fact, just, just imagine this for a moment. You go to a wedding. Has anyone been to a wedding in the last, in the last year? Out of interest? A few people? Well, imagine going to that wedding that you went to. And you arrive. And there's a feast laid out. And it looks beautiful. It's something like this. There's, there's plate after plate after plate um, all ready for the food. And then when the time when the food comes, out come the waiters. And they put down the food at each plate. And you arrive for this wedding. And uh, the bride is there. And you're there. And the bridegroom's just, just about to arrive. He's, he's just coming. And the guests say, and the bride says, we're not going to eat. We're just not going to eat because actually we can't celebrate. We're waiting for the bridegroom. And then the, bride, and then the bridegroom arrives. He, he, perhaps he was outside. He comes in. And then the bride says, no, I, I still can't eat. I'm going to fast the whole wedding. And the guests say, no, we're going to fast all, all meal. <laughs> the bridegroom would, would, would come in and say, guys, it's a, it's a wedding. We've just paid for this food. Let's party. Let's celebrate. We're married. And everyone would say, no, 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 we're going to fast. And the poor groom is just standing there, and he's like, what's going on? And that's the illustration that Jesus is using here. The bridegroom is Jesus, and he is here. And the appropriate response is to come to Jesus with a pure heart, or as you are, poor in spirit, and eat with him and enjoy time with him. See, the Pharisees, they focused on religious rules. Matthew and the disciples, they focused on relationship. The Pharisees spent their time making themselves kind of look holy. But Matthew and the disciples spent their time with the one who is holy. There's two attitudes. And just to finish for us today, what is our heart attitude to Jesus? 
He invites us into that deep relationship with him. And I thought for many of us, perhaps in this new year, maybe it's thinking about the question, are we poor in spirit? Do we realise that we can't look holy, but actually not spend time with our, our Lord and our Saviour? Maybe this new year is an invitation to come and sit with your Father God and spend time with him. Maybe it's an encouragement that this week, if we're going to do that poor in spirit thing, maybe it's taking little slots of time to really spend with God and not just do Christianity. And do Christianity can look like coming to church or spending time with Christians. Those things are really good and they're really valid. But it's the heart attitude of coming to Jesus and saying, I want time with you. He longs for time with us. Just to be really honest with you, um, uh, I was chatting with a friend recently and, and, and they said, what has God put on your heart? And I said, I think I've been too busy and I think I've forgotten to really spend time with my friend. And so one of the things I'm focusing on this, this new term is taking just those slots in the day. It doesn't have to be long, but to really sit with my dad and to talk to him. And I think this is an invitation for you to do the same as well. Just to be clear, perhaps there are some people here today, and, and for you, it's that you've perhaps never done that. You've never come to Jesus and said, Lord, I, I want to know you. Well, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we have access to him and we can come to him just like Matthew was invited to come to Jesus and spend time with him. And if that's you, I would love to pray for you. And perhaps the last thing is there might be some people here today and you're just thinking, do you know what? I just want to reaffirm my love for, for Jesus. This new year, maybe it's a new habit. Maybe it's committing to read the Bible with someone. Maybe it's asking for a mentor. We, I'd, I'd love to connect you up with someone who, who, who can mentor you. I've got a mentor, someone who can sort of help you talk about Christianity and think about it in your life. Maybe it's starting a prayer triplet with someone else in the new year. That can be a great way to sort of get our hearts back in line with Jesus. But those are just a few things that we can think about. Why don't we take a moment now just to be still and to think about this story. If you have the story in front of you, that would be great, but I've, I've Otherwise, I'll leave those up there. And let's take a moment just to reflect about what God is saying to you about this story. And then in a moment, we're going to sing. Let me say a prayer, and then we'll take a moment of stillness.